This message is brought to you by the Church of Pentecost Cyprus. As you listen, may it build faith in your heart, inspire hope in your life, and fill you with God's amazing love. Enjoy the message. Our theme for this month is Kingdom Principles. Kingdom Principles. And for that reason, for this month, we want to really speak about the Kingdom of God and help to understand what do we mean when we say the kingdom of God and the principles that govern the kingdom of God? The principles that govern the kingdom of God. Now, the church's vision is called Possessing the Nations. Uh, it was a five year vision that started from 2018 and goes to 2023. And it is the, the tag name or the headline name is Possessing the Nations. The tag name that should um, ring in everyone's mind is possessing the nations. And what does it mean when we say possessing the nations? Possessing the nations means that in the five years between 2018 through to 2023, the goal of the church is that we will equip the members or we will equip the church so that it will transform every sphere of society with values and principles of the kingdom of God. So in essence, when we say possessing the nations, that is simply what we mean. That in that period of time, the church will be equipped to transform every sphere of society with values and principles of the kingdom of God. Um, when we say equip, equip means to supply with the necessary items for a particular purpose. So that means in the five years, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we will equip, we will supply all the members with the necessary items so that you'll be able to possess, so that you'll be able to transform. transform. Um, equip also means to prepare someone um, mentally, spiritually, physically for a particular task or situation. So prepare someone mentally, physically, spiritually for a particular task or situation. So what when we say possessing the nations, what we're saying is that in the five-year period, the goal, the leadership will focus on preparing everyone in the church, mentally, spiritually, physically, all dimensions, so that you can, one, possess, um, possess the nations in terms of transforming every sphere of society, and secondly, so that you can be prepared for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the next five years, should the Lord Jesus Christ come, the goal and the prayer is that everyone hearing my voice this morning would be among those who will make it to heaven. So possessing the nations, is the goal is to equip the church. And after the church has been equipped, supply the necessary items they need so you can live a victorious life. Supplied and prepared for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will transform every sphere of society. When we talk about sphere of society, that means um, everywhere, whether it is education, whether it is politics, whether it is music, whether it is art, whether it is medicine, whether it is transport, whether it is business, whether it's self-employed, basically every domain and every area that you find yourself, you should transform. Now, 
In reality, people do two things. You're either transforming or you're conforming. Wherever you are, you're either transforming or you're conforming. There's no middle ground. You're either conforming to things or you're transforming. And what we're saying is that in the next five years or uh, we have three, two to three more years, the goal and the focus of the church is that every member of the church Wherever you go, you will not conform. You will be an agent of transformation. When you step in that place, it will be like Jesus has stepped in that place. When you speak, it will be like the King of Kings has spoken. You will not conform, but your life will bring transformation. Your presence there will bring the kingdom of God. So in the next five years or from 2018 to 2023, the goal is to equip the church to transform every sphere of society. And what are we equipping the church with? To equip the church with the values and the principles of the kingdom of God. To equip the church with the values and the principles of the kingdom of God. So hence why this month we're looking at kingdom principles. Um, the honest truth is that from 2018, 2019, our focus has been equipping the church with the values and the principles of God. We started with, I will build my church in 2019 to help you understand that the church has an owner and that owner is Jesus Christ. He is the one building it and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We taught you that you are the church. And when we say the church, what we mean is the representative of God. The people of God. So wherever you are, you represent God. There are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those who represent God and those who represent the world. And the world is controlled by Satan. So wherever you are, you are God's representative. And wherever God's representatives are, you are the highest authority in that place. You are the highest authority in that place. So all that we're doing is to equip and to teach us the principles and the values of the kingdom of God. Um, so over the next couple of Sundays, I'll be looking at, uh, I'll be starting a sermon series dealing with the kingdom, the kingdom. So we'll look at the kingdom of God and we'll compare it to the kingdom of this world. We'll look at the king and the prince of the world. We'll look at the citizens of the kingdom of God and the citizens of the kingdom of the world. And we'll also look at who we call the governor of the kingdom of God, the governor of the kingdom of God. And today, my particular focus is on understanding the nature of the kingdom of God, understanding the nature of the kingdom of God, understanding the nature. So my title for today is understanding the nature of the kingdom of God. When we talk about kingdom, the word kingdom is a combination of two words, king and domain or dominion, king and domain, king and domain king and domain. In essence, when we say a kingdom, a kingdom is a domain, an area or territory where a king has dominion. An area or territory where a king has dominion. When we talk about dominion, what we mean is control, influence, and authority. His agenda, his plans, his program is final. So a kingdom is an area or domain where a king's plans, a king's agenda, a king's program is final. It's final. Another definition of the word kingdom is the governing influence of a king over a territory. The governing influence of a king over a territory. Impacting that territory with his will, 
his purpose, his intents, producing a culture and a moral standard for his citizens. So the king impacts that territory with his will, his purpose, his intent. He produces in that area a culture and a moral standard for his citizens where everyone within that sphere, that domain, that area takes the culture of the king and flows and, and lives by the standard that the king wants everyone to live. Another definition of the word kingdom is, or the kingdom of God is God's comprehensive rule over all creation. God's comprehensive rule. And when we say comprehensive, that means complete rule over all creation uh, when you have a car and you're buying and you're getting car insurance um, there are different lives um, different types of car insurance you have um, just third party that means if you are engaged in an accident um, the cover the insurance only covers the damages for the third party it doesn't cover you um, and then there is also comprehensive which means that it covers everything in its totality. Everything, everything, everything. Every damage that will be caused, whether to you, to someone, the insurance covers it. And what we're saying is that God, the kingdom of God, is the comprehensive rule of God over all creation. Over all creation. Now, in terms of kingdom, for a kingdom to exist, a kingdom must have four components, four components, four key components of a kingdom. The first one is that before we can qualify something as a kingdom, it must have a king. It must have a king. It must have a king. Now, next week, Sunday, I will focus more to deal with the king, the nature of the king and the duties of the king and the king of kings that we have and, and the benefits and the privileges that he offers us. But a kingdom must firstly have a king. Kings are born into kingship. They are not nominated. They are not elected. They are not voted. They don't have a term of office. They don't have, uh, their kingdom only comes to an end when they die or when they are conquered. That is when their kingdom comes to an end. The word king is also sim as, uh, the same as the word lord. Lord. And the word lord means one who is in charge. So when we say a king, a king is equal to the word Lord. And the word Lord is the same word as Jehovah. So when God reveals himself as Jehovah, in essence, he's saying that I am Lord. I am the one in charge of everything. In charge of everything. In charge of everything. So God is saying that he is king. Or when we say there is a kingdom, the kingdom must firstly have a king. And the king is the Lord, the one who is in charge of everything the king's power is absolute that means his power is final he doesn't need a, a parliament house for them to argue and debate his laws what he says is final and when the king speaks it is a decree it cannot be changed by any man it cannot be turned or altered by anyone the king's word is final and it is complete it is unchallenged Anyone who challenges the king's words, um, that person must be put to death. That person is challenging the authority of the king. 
The king owns everything that is within his domain. And the, as I said, the king can never be voted out. So, number one component of a kingdom is that there needs to be a king. There needs to be a king. There needs to be someone who is in control, who is in charge. The second component of a kingdom is there needs to be citizens. Before we can say something is a kingdom, there has to be citizens. People who are being dominated by a king. People who are being controlled by a king. People who have submitted themselves to the rule and authority of a king, of the king. So there needs to be citizens. Now, in kingdoms, the king, the king can choose his citizens. The king can choose his citizens, but the citizens cannot choose their king. Whereas governments, government, um, citizens choose their presidents and so forth. In the kingdom, it doesn't work that way. A king can choose his citizens, can decide that I want these people to be my citizens. And, uh, and the, the reverse does not work. The citizens cannot choose their king. The king is made. The king is made. The king is born. Hallelujah. The third component of a kingdom is that it must have a territory. It must have a territory. It must have an area of influence. It must have an area of influence. It must have a territory. So, yes, there must be a king who rules over some people, and those people are, must be scattered across a certain geographical area. There must be a territory. Now, um, when you look at the nation of Israel, God was trying to establish them as a kingdom. And when he was trying to establish them as a kingdom, he started off after forming them, um, giving them leaders and all of that. He started off by using them to conquer territories so that their kingdom would span over a certain space of land. Kingdoms must have territories. And in the old, the kingdoms only grew by taking over other territories. As we know, the United Kingdom, United Kingdom took over many, many territories, India, um, large parts of Africa, even America was a territory of the United Kingdom. So the kingdom must have a territory. Then the fourth component of a kingdom, the fourth component of a kingdom is that Every kingdom must have a constitution. Every kingdom must have a constitution which governs the relationship between the king and the citizens. Every kingdom must have a constitution which governs the relationship between the king and the citizens. Now, in the kingdom of God, the constitution that governs the relationship between the king, who is God, and his children, which is us, is the Bible. The Bible. It is the governing, or it is the final rule, the thing that governs how or what the relationship between the king and the citizens should look like. All kingdoms have rules. They have laws which all citizens must live by. And all citizens is not an optional thing. It is something that all citizens must live by. And those governing rules are put in place by the king. It is not something which the citizens sit down and plan and say that this is what we want you to do. No, it is the king who sits down and decides the rules that he wants his citizens to live by. Rules that he wants his citizens to live by. Whatever he says is final. 
In essence, all citizens or all kingdoms have a code of ethics and a culture. When we talk about a culture, we're talking about a lifestyle, clothing, values, morals, and food that governs the kingdom. That governs the kingdom. The kingdom. All kingdoms also have a taxation system. This is all part of the constitution. A taxation system and a principle of giving to the king. All kingdoms have a taxation system. There is no kingdom that does not have a taxation system. There is a system in place in all kingdoms where all the citizens must give a certain percent of, of, of what they receive to the king. To the king. Because everything that they have actually belongs to the king. And their giving to the king is a sign of their submission, their love, uh, and their humility towards the king. Now, in the kingdom of God, the taxation system is your tithe. All kingdoms have a taxation system. And it is our sign, our evidence, that we submit to the rule and authority of the king. Citizens must not come before their king empty-handed. Citizens must not come before their king empty-handed. So all these things, all these constitutions, these governing things are in place. Are in place before a kingdom can be said to be a kingdom. So the four things, four components of a kingdom. Number one is there has to be a king. And if there's a king, number two, there has to be citizens. Those being governed by a king. Then three, there must be a domain, a territory, an area, an area of influence, an area that the king has dominion. Then number four, there has to be a constitution that governs the relationship between the king and the citizens. Now, in the world, there are two kinds of kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, which is also referred to as the kingdom of light or the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are the same thing. Our father who art in heaven, he is in heaven and heaven is the way it is because God has dominion over that place. His rule is, is final. His intent is final. His word is final and everyone under his influence in heaven submits to his authority, his rule. His ways. In Revelation, John tells us that he saw angels, thousands and thousands upon angels. He saw the living creatures and everything bowing before the king in heaven. His rule is like that. No one challenges his authority. Uh, the, 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 the first person who tried to challenge his authority, he kicked them out. He kicked them out. And the enemy that were fighting on this earth, we should understand that God has already defeated him before. He has defeated him twice, once in heaven, then secondly on earth on the cross. Therefore, he is no match for our king. Hallelujah. He is no match for our king. There is the history of God defeating that enemy. So there is the kingdom of God, referred to as the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven. Then there is also the second kingdom, which is the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world, which is also referred to as the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness. And both stand in opposition to each other. You, and you can't be in the middle ground. You either belong to one or the other. You either belong to one or the other. You either belong to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. You either belong to the kingdom of, of, of God or the kingdom of Satan. You are either being, uh, it is either God is your king or Satan is your king. 
It is either God has final say in your life or the world, Satan, and the things of the world have final say in your life. You cannot be in the middle ground. You cannot be in the middle ground. That is why Joshua told them, choose this day whom you will serve. Either you will serve God, Yahweh, or you will serve the gods of the nations around you. Uh, Elijah also told them, choose this day whom you will serve. You spent too long trying to be in the middle. It's either God is God. It's either Jehovah is your Jehovah or Lucifer is your Lord. So you can't be in the middle ground. Can't be in the middle ground. So we realize that God created the heavens and the earth. And God decided that heaven will be his throne and the earth his footstool. And in Genesis, he decided to create mankind in his own image. Created mankind in his own image. And he said, I will put them on earth and they would rule the earth on my behalf. So through them, I will extend my kingdom on earth. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave over the authority and the dominion that God had given them over the earth to Lucifer, to Satan. They gave over. So then Jesus came back on earth, or Jesus came on earth, or God came on earth and died on the cross so that he may purchase back for us, not him, but for us, the authority and the dominion over this earth again. So in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me and I'm giving it back unto you that you should have dominion and authority. So that means as a Christian, God has placed you in a place where the kingdom of darkness does not have authority over you. It should not have authority over you. It should not have, a, it should not have an ability to influence and domain and, and, and exercise rule over your life. So there are two kingdoms, two kingdoms. Now, looking at the kingdom of God, let's look at four things in terms of the nature of the kingdom of God. Four things about the kingdom of God. The first thing about the kingdom of God that we learn from scriptures is that the kingdom of God is heavenly. It's heavenly. The kingdom of God is heavenly. In John chapter 18, verse 33 to 37, this is what Jesus, Jesus is before Pilate. He's been handed over by the Jews to be crucified. And Pilate is talking to him. And this is what he says about the kingdom of God. John chapter 18, verse 33 to 37. Pilate then went back inside the palace or the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? So simple question. Are you the king of the Jews? For you to be a king, then that means you have a kingdom. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? 35. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So he's acknowledging that he has a kingdom, my kingdom. By saying my kingdom, he in essence is saying that he's a priest. He's a king rather. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants will fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered. 
You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The reason why I was born and came to this world is to testify that there is another kingdom that is far greater than the kingdom that we see in this world. There is a kingdom that is heavenly. There is a kingdom that is mighty. There is a kingdom that is not earthly. Not earthly. Not earthly. When you read the same verse 36 in the Amplified Translation, it says, Jesus replied, My kingdom is not of this world, nor does it have its origins in this world. So that means his kingdom did not begin when the world began, when the earth began. What is in essence saying is that his kingdom does not have a beginning. It doesn't have a start date. My kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting hard. To keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. So that means the kingdom of God is not like worldly things. It is not earthly. It is not. It does not operate as we see things operate in the world. It is not carnal. It does not operate as we see things operating in the world. It is heavenly. It is spiritual. And we know that the spiritual controls the physical. So what he's saying, by saying that my kingdom is not of this world, in essence, my kingdom is above this world. It is not what you see around. It is not like the things in the world. So anyone who is to follow the kingdom of God, then that means you should not be a person who is of the world. You should not be a person who is worldly person. The kingdom of God does not operate, does not work just like how natural things operate. It is different to worldly things. So in essence, if you belong to the kingdom of God, your life should be heavenly. Your life should not be worldly. You should be different. Jesus is saying that if I was worldly, if I was like the world, if my kingdom was like the world, then you will see me fighting the way that people fight. You will see me fighting the way people fight. But I don't fight that way because I am not worldly. I am not worldly. My battle is not a physical one. It's against spiritualities, spirit authorities and principalities. I, my kingdom is not worldly. In essence, what he's saying is that what I have brought on earth is an extension of what is in heaven. Jesus saying, by saying that my kingdom is not of this, of this world, and me being here, in essence, he's saying, what I have brought on earth is an extension of what is in heaven. It does not operate to the things of this world. It does not respond to the things of this world. The only thing and place it responds to is heaven. So just as it is in heaven, so it will be wherever I am on this earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we also know that everything in this world is passing away. Everything in this world is passing away. So by Jesus saying that my kingdom is not of this world, he is saying that not only does he not have a beginning, but also it shall not pass away. When the earth passes away with everything in it, my kingdom will still stand and nothing shall conquer it. It is heavenly. So those who align themselves to this king, when everything is passing away, God's promise to you is that you shall stand. You shall stand. You will not pass away. You will not pass away. 
you will not pass away. In essence, it does not have an expiry date. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an expiry date. Now, there is an analogy that someone wants you. says, a boat is made to be in water, but not of the water. A boat is made to be in water, but not of water. And if a boat begins to be of water it's, and starts taking water inside, it will soon go down. In the same way, you and I were created to be in the world, but not of the world. And the moment you start taking water inside of you, that is when your end begins. It is not the water around the boat that sinks the boat, but it is the water inside the boat that sinks the boat. It is not the water around that sinks the boat. It is when the water around starts to go inside. And the same way as a child of God, it is not the wilderness around that will bring you down. But when wilderness comes inside of you, when the things of this world, you allow it to enter into you, then you begin to sink. Begin to sink. To be worldly means, to be worldly means that you have allowed the systems that are designed to leave God out to influence your decisions, actions, and relationship and priorities in this life. To be worldly means that you have allowed the systems in place that are designed to leave God out, that are designed to put God aside, to influence your decisions and actions and relationships. To be godly means that you have allowed the systems that are designed to make God first to influence your decisions and your actions and your priorities in this life. So that is the first component of or key item of the kingdom of God. The second thing about the kingdom, so the first thing is that it is heavenly. The second thing about the kingdom of God is that his rule is sovereign. His rule is sovereign. When we say his rule is sovereign, that means he is not accountable to anyone. And he does not need to explain himself to anyone. If you want to belong to this kingdom, Job started questioning God. And God told him to sit up. Let me ask you some questions. How dare you question me? If you, those who are part of this kingdom, what God does, he does not need to explain to anyone. How he does things, he does not need to explain to anyone. When he does things, he does not need to explain to anyone. His decision is final and absolute. Some of us, you don't understand the kingdom you're in. This is not a government. This is not like a worldly kingdom. In the kingdom of God, his rule is sovereign. His will is sovereign. And he controls both the scene and the unseen. Let's read Psalm 103, verse 19 to 20. 103, verse 19 to 20. Psalm 103, verse 19 to 20. The Amplified says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all the universe. Bless the Lord, his angels, you mighty ones who do his commandments, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him and do his will. Verse 19 to 22, rather, sorry. 21, it says, bless the Lord, all you hosts, 
you who serve him and do his work. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless and affectionately praise the Lord, oh my soul. And in here, what he's saying is that even the mighty angels, the most powerful of angels, must submit to him, to his command, must do his will, must do his will. All his hosts, all the heavenly hosts, there is no angel who is exempt from his control. Nobody, nobody. He doesn't share control with anyone, no one. His rule is sovereign. And all of his creation are supposed to be under his dominion. Psalm 115 verse 3. 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He doesn't need to consult you when he's acting. Our God is in heaven. And on earth and in, in, in the areas of his dominion, he does whatever he pleases. In the kingdom of God, that is how he operates. You may not understand. He doesn't necessarily wait for you to understand. He has the power and authority to do whatever he pleases, when he pleases, and how he pleases it. Romans 9, verse 20 to 21. Romans 9, 20 to 21. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the porter have the right to make out of the same lamp of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? So the porter has the right to do whatever he wants, to use the clay however he wants. In the same way, God in his kingdom is sovereign. Is sovereign. Is sovereign. And sometimes people lose sight of that. Don't become so friendly with God that you begin to lose the, um, the realization that he is the one in charge, not you. When we say his rule is sovereign, that is simply what that means. That he is in charge, not you. His terms, his conditions, not yours. It is just like when you, go, when you come into my house. When you visit me at home, you don't decide the rules in my house. You don't decide the rules in my house. When I come to your house, I don't decide the rules in your house. It is you, the one in charge of that home, that decides. So therefore, if you have a rule that everyone must take off their shoes, no matter who I am, I must submit myself to the rules. If I come into your house, I cannot say that I don't like this chair here, I don't like this here, change this. No! In the same way, in the kingdom of God, you don't decide the rules. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He does not answer to anyone. And as I said, to be part of the kingdom, you must realize that he is the king and not you. Um, then the third thing about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is everlasting. Psalm 145 verse 13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is the Alpha and the Omega. You see, what makes a kingdom everlasting is the king. If the king can last forever, then their kingdom can also last forever. And with most kingdoms, you see one thing you see is that the moment the king gets old, the kingdom becomes weak. 
Look at many of the African nations where someone took over as president and they've been ruling for many, many, many years. It gets to a point where they become weak and weak and weak and they're overthrown. And what this is saying is that his kingdom cannot be overthrown. It is everlasting. It is not controlled by time. It does not sit inside of time. His kingdom sits outside of time. Outside of time. Now, in the Bible or in human history, we are aware of the Egyptian kingdom. The Egyptian kingdom was so mighty that it supplied food to the whole world during the time of Joseph. But that kingdom is no more. We are aware of the Babylonian kingdom. The Babylonian kingdom was so mighty, but that kingdom is no more. We are aware of the Roman kingdom, but the Roman kingdom is no more. We are aware of the Greek kingdom. The Greek kingdom is no more. And the times we're in, we're seeing the kingdom of the West, and we're seeing the collapse of that kingdom. The collapse of the kingdom of the West. The West being Europe and America. We're seeing it crippling. Crippling. So his kingdom cannot be controlled. In Daniel chapter 2, the king had a dream and the king called his servants, his magicians, and he told them two things. Tell me the dream I had and tell me its interpretation. I'm not going to tell you the dream. Tell me first the dream I had and its interpretation. The people told him that this thing you're asking, no great king has ever asked it before. And no human being can tell you that. It is, it, is, it is the work of the gods to be able to tell you the dream and its interpretation. Um, and then the king said, in that case, then I will kill all of you. So then they were all to be taken to be killed. And Daniel asked the commander of the king, why is the king so angry? Why does he want to kill all of us? And the, uh, he told him that the king had a dream. And Daniel told him that, go and tell the king that myself, uh, he shouldn't kill everyone yet. I will pray and I believe that God will give us interpretation. So Daniel went and called his three friends and said, let's pray. And they prayed. And when they prayed, God revealed to them the dream and its meaning. And this is the dream that he saw. The king saw in his dream, Nebuchadnezzar, a large statue. And the statue's head was made of gold. And that gold represented Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And it says, after it, the chest and the arms were made of silver, which represents the Middle Persian kingdom. And then after that, the, um, the middle and the upper legs, so the thighs, were made of bronze, which represents the Greek kingdom. Then the legs were made of iron, which represents the Roman kingdom. Then the feet were made of iron and clay, which is a mixed kingdom. A divided kingdom and in reality the the west kingdom is what we're seeing a mixed kingdom uh, that, that that is not it's trying to stand together but it's, it's not able to stand so kingdom of iron and clay and it says that all of it was broken into pieces at the same time and what broke it was a rock a rock a rock came and broke it Let's read, um, let's pick up that story from the verse 44 to 47. Daniel 2, 44 to 47. In the time of those kings, the, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. It will itself endure forever. To say, see, to say to endure forever, that means it will be tested. But everything that will come against it 
will not be powerful enough to be able to bring it down. And that is the kingdom that you and I are part of. That is why Jesus says that the gates of hell shall not prevail. Prevail means that it will make its attempts. It will use all of its forces. It will try, but it shall not prevail over it. Verse 45. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock. Cut out of a mountain, but not by human hand. Hence, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid his honor and order and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So you see, when we talk about possessing the nations, you and I are meant to be like Daniel. Our lives should display the glory of God so much that the Nebuchadnezzar's in our lives should come to a point where they testify that our God is the God of God. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings and there is none like him. And he's saying that though there were many kingdoms, there was a stone, there was a rock that was cut off a mountain and that rock shattered the other things. That means the rock, the kingdom of God, is able to shatter every other kingdom. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus is the rock of ages. That rock is not Peter. Because Peter, uh, uh, Peter was not made uh, from heaven physically. Peter cannot destroy things. It is Jesus. It is that heavenly rock that has the ability to destroy everything that is before him. So that is the nature of the kingdom of God. It is everlasting. It cannot be destroyed. It is a rock that breaks iron, breaks bronze, destroys gold, destroys clay, destroys silver, destroys whatever is put in place of it. Then the final thing I would mention about the kingdom is that in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28, it says it is an unshakable kingdom. Unshakable kingdom. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, when we say something is unshakable, that means it is firm. It is firm. It has deep roots. It has deep roots. No one can dig it out. When we say something is unshakable, it means it does not fail. It does not become weak. It does not fail. It does not become weak. It is a kingdom that is dependable on. When you are part of this kingdom, nothing in your life is unshakable. Or nothing in your life can be shaken. What God decrees becomes final. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be altered. It cannot be changed. God's word, his power is final. It's an unshakable kingdom. It doesn't get weak. No one can get rid of it. It doesn't lose its strength. With time, it doesn't grow weaker. It is the same yesterday. Today. And forevermore. 
a forever abiding kingdom. But you see, the kingdom of this world is shakable. The kingdom of this world is shakable. It's shakable. It doesn't abide forever. It is not strong. It is not mighty. But the kingdom of our God is unshakable. It's mighty. Abides forever. So this morning, as I bring my message to an end, Jesus is offering all of us an opportunity to be part of that kingdom. Jesus is offering everyone. He says you've been part of the kingdom of the world where Satan has been Lord controlling you. But now there's an opportunity to be part of an unshakable kingdom where nothing moves you. Songwriter says, I'm not moved by what I see. Hallelujah. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by COVID-19. I'm not moved by viruses. That kingdom cannot be shaken by anything. It is firm and secure. The songwriter says, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? That means anyone who is hooked, who stands on this rock, nothing can shake you. In Matthew 14 verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, and say repent, which means change your inner self. Your old way of thinking. Regrets past sins. Live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In essence, Jesus is calling all of us to give up our independence. That means you should resign from the kingdom of the world. In most kingdoms or in most nations, when you're trying to get a passport in that country, most countries will not, or when you're trying to naturalize, most countries would ask you to give up your citizenship that you had. They will tell you that you can't have dual citizenship. You can't belong to this country and belong to another country as well. In the same way, God is asking you and I, when we talk about repentance, he's saying that give up your passport that you had to the world. Burn it away and come and take a heavenly passport. Come and take a new one. Come and take a new one. And when you do, he will provide all that you need. So to repent is to naturalize, to give up the rights you had in the world or past and take up a new one. May the Lord help us. May the Lord reveal himself to us so that we'll be able to surrender and take up the heavenly passport. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we can't end this message without giving you an opportunity to make things right with God. If you would like to do so, then I would humbly ask you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I confess that I have fallen short of your expectations. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. Today, I accept the forgiveness and the salvation that Jesus offers. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my personal Savior. Come live in me. Come change me. Come help me to live a life that pleases you. This I have prayed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you have prayed this prayer for the first time, then congratulations. Um, you have taken the first step to making things right with God. We would encourage you to get in touch with us on any of our social media handles and we will help you to grow in your relationship with God. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he prosper you. And be gracious and kind to you. Amen.
Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you'd like to know more or have any questions, please contact us by email at info at copcypress.org or in any of our social media platforms at the COP Cypress. God bless you.